Act Two of Hamilton by Mary P. Hamlin and George Arliss. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two Scene Living Room in the House of Alexander Hamilton, 79 South 3rd Street, Philadelphia, evening of the same day. It is a large room in a brick house of the period. Wallpaper dull gray, white wainscoting. Doors solid mahogany, white frames with cut glass handles. Woodwork of windows and fireplace handsomely carved and painted white. Room suggests dignity and comfort rather than elegance. The furniture is Chippendale. Portraits of General and Mrs. Schuyler on the wall at back. Upstage right, there is a door leading to a hall and street door which can be seen by audience. Down left, a door leading to other parts of the house. Left center, at back, two long French windows give out on narrow iron balcony on front of house. A third window is on the right upstage. Light through window suggests street lamp without. Large and small chairs stand about. At left front stands a large carved mahogany chair. It is handsomely upholstered in leather. At left center, a large low writing table with a pile of manuscript at one end and furnished with ink and quill pens. The fireplace is on the right downstage. On mantel stands a handsome wedgewood vase and one silver four-branch candlestick. Above mantel, a large mirror. Between fireplace and window upright, a small square mahogany table against the wall. Green rep and lace curtains at all windows. Down right, center facing audience, a colonial sofa. Against wall, center at back, is a mahogany bookcase filled with books. No doors on case. Standing on bookcase are two two-branch silver candlesticks. The two portraits are on the wall above. Right and left of bookcase, a chair. In left corner upstage, a handsome colonial escotier, open. Armchair in front of escotier. Against wall left and above door, a similar smaller bookcase. Two single candlesticks on ditto. Armchair back of Hamilton's table left center. Single chair right of table. Chair against wall below door down left. Ditto against wall below fireplace down right. Small chair back of sofa. When the curtain goes up, Alexander Hamilton is discovered standing at right of table left center, looking over a manuscript of Bill for Congress. He is a man of medium height, 33 years of age. He is dressed in the height of fashion. In spite of heat, his ruffles are immaculate and his stock secure. He wears his own hair, unpowdered and tied in a queue, with a black ribbon. Enter left, Zekiel, an elderly Negro serving man. Zekiel, at door left. Excuse me, Moss Hampton, but that's mighty nine nine o'clock. Is it Zekiel? It certainly am, sir. Well, what of it? Zekiel, coming toward him. Colonel, you ain't had scarcely no food all day, and that fetch me. Dinner's been waiting these four hours. Has it? Well, bring it in here. Sits back of table, left center. Hi, y'all don't eat at all then, sir. Yo just looks at it and goes on walking. Hamilton, making correction on Bill. I'm engaged on a difficult task, Uncle. You sure must be, Master Hampton. Trying to make bricks without straw. Bricks? That certainly do seem a mighty poor substitute for dinner, Master Colonel. Knock. Zekiel crosses it back towards door right. I'm still out, Zekiel. Ezekiel, turning it right. Reckon you all better be home, Massa Colonel, and quit working for tonight. 
I'm out, Ezekiel. I'm out. Ezekiel goes outright, half closes room door. Skylar heard. Skylar without. What? Still out? I'll come in, Uncle, and wait. Coming through hall door. Ezekiel, as Skylar stumps in. So help me, General. Tain't no good, you're waiting. Enter General Skylar, right. Ezekiel backing in before him, trying to prevent him. Hamilton, who has gotten up as soon as he heard voice. Why, Father, I've been expecting you for hours. Meeting him upright, taking his hands and bringing him into the room. Well, I called on you hours ago. To Ezekiel. You black nigger, you. I don't believe he's been out at all. Ezekiel, down right of Schuyler. Why, he say he were out, and I don't think he were. Hamilton, left of Schuyler. Uncle, I thought you knew I was expecting the general. I don't know nothing except what you tells me. So help me, Martha Hampton. Shut street door and returns, closing room door also. I'm sorry, father. You see, as secretary of the treasury, I'm a target for all kinds and conditions of people. Placing the chair right of table a little further out for Schuyler. Schuyler, sitting, left center. People who come to borrow money, eh? Hamilton, giving Schuyler's hat to Ezekiel. Exactly. That's why I have to be out, out, out. You see, there is still a large section of the public who regard the treasury as a sort of savings bank, from which they can withdraw money without the preliminary inconvenience of depositing it. Helping Schuyler off with his cloak and giving it to Ezekiel. Schuyler, having risen to take off cloak, sits again. Well, the people are slow to understand. It's only the last few years that we've had a treasury. Yes, we have a treasury, but we haven't any treasure. How's the gout? How do I find Colonel Hamilton? That's what I want to know. I'm perfectly well. Puts his hand across his eyes. But I believe I'm tired. Crossing down left. Ezekiel, advancing to right center from behind sofa. He ain't had no victual since morning, General. Ah, perhaps that's it. I believe I'm hungry. Schuyler, turning angrily to Ezekiel. Didn't Mrs. Hamilton charge you before she went away to see that the colonel ate his meals regularly? Hamilton, laughing, passes up between Schuyler and table, giving Schuyler an affectionate shake as he passes, then puts away papers. Yes, sir. Miss Betsy, she charged me, but for God, Master Schuyler, I can't get him to eat scarcely a mouthful. So that's the way you look after your master, is it? Sometimes, General. Yo can tack and lead a mule up to the trough. Hamilton, tying up papers, protests, laughingly. But if he tack it into his head not to drink, well, y'all can't do nothing about it. Uncle, you never said a word about drink. You've been worrying me to eat all day. To Schuyler. What do you think I've been doing, Father? The Lord knows. Everybody's work, as usual, I suppose. I've been building a national bank. Places hand on large bundle of manuscript. Well, we can't do it on an empty stomach. Why not? I'm doing it on an empty treasury. Goes up to Esquitier with papers. Schuyler to Ezekiel, who is going towards door right. Uncle Zeke, you go and get up the best supper you know how, and I'll see that the colonel eats it. And a bottle of wine. Ezekiel puts cloak and hat down on chair right of bookcase on back wall, and brings small table from at wall right, and places it center beside Schuyler. Hamilton, at Escotier up left. You'll join me in that. No, I've got a milk-fed foot. 
<laughs> Milk for General Schuyler. Yes, sir. Ezekiel exits left, happy. Hamilton, sitting on edge of table, left of Schuyler. Well, what news? You saw General Washington. He's in the lowest depths of depression, Alexander. About the financial conditions. He's not as young as you, you know. He was born to fight, but not to fight politicians. Well, I'm going to do the fighting now. Picks up pens. Here's a whole new bundle of pens, and I'm going to stick a man with every one of them. The opposition have half a dozen bundles to your one, and they poison the points. That's just it. They use too many pens, and so the poison fails to take effect. I've got them sticking all over me, and I can't even feel them. But Washington feels them. They're always attacking him. The latest is an accusation that he is drawing more salary than he is entitled to. Whose work is that? Tom Paine's? No, the clerk of the house. But Tom Paine has written him a letter, too, accusing him of incompetence, calling him treacherous in private friendship, a hypocrite in public life. Sounds like Tom Paine. And heaven knows what besides. Ungrateful scoundrels. The thing that hits him hardest is their everlasting hooting about the army. George Washington loves his army as he would have loved an only child. He has beggared himself in an attempt to meet the country's promise to pay. It's the old story. The greater the achievement of the man, the more violent his detractors. Enter Ezekiel, left with tray containing chicken, bread and butter, jug of milk, glass, bottle of wine, wine glass, napkin, and white cloth on tray. Now they are shouting dictator and accusing him of trying to make himself king. And they know it's a lie. Crossing down left angrily. Of course it's a lie. That's why the politicians glory in it. You can't lead the people with a lie. The truth. Takes more papers from table and puts them away in escotia. Uncle Zeke, I hope you hear your master talking about the value of telling the truth. It will do you good. Ezekiel, having placed Trey on table center. For God, Massa General, the only lie I ever tell is to say Massa Hampton's out when he's in, and surely that's a mighty white lie. For a gentleman of your color. Well, Ezekiel, if anyone calls, I'm in for tonight. Unless they want money out of the treasury. Ezekiel, taking chair from left of bookcase at back, and placing it back of table center. Very well, Marcel Hamilton. Yo's in for tonight. Now yo eat that thar dinner, and I'll bring yo more to follow. Exit Ezekiel, taking Skylar's hat and cloak. Now, what have we here? Chicken. Hamilton, at Escotier. Ah. And bread and butter. Damn it, there's no pie. Hamilton, coming over. Good heavens. No pie. Ezekiel! I'll wager he's gone to get the pie. Well, it doesn't seem much to go building banks on. How can I build banks without pie? It's time Betsy came back. Thank God she will be home next week. Hamilton, standing back of table, center. Haven't you had a letter by the last packet? No. Why, I've been on the road from Albany the last five days. What's wrong? Hamilton, taking out letter from breast pocket. Nothing wrong. But Betsy writes to say that Angelica isn't able to come as soon as they expected. It will be another month before they are here. He kisses letter. 
It's a damn shame the way you've been left with no one to look after you. Go on and eat. Betsy had no sort of business to go off and leave you at all. I say it if she is my own daughter. Why, you begged and prayed of her to go. Well, she ought to be back. She's coming back. Heaven knows I miss Betsy. Puts letter on tray and sits down. Schuyler, fuming. President Washington leans on you like a child on its mother. And not a soul in this whole town sees to it that you have any, any... Fumes. Any pie. Eat, I say. Eat. Knock. Now there's somebody else. Hope that nigger has sense enough to say you're out. Hamilton, opening napkin. Come on, then. Join me. I'm hungry as a hunter. Passes milk. There's your milk. Milk. Bah. Enter Ezekiel. Ezekiel at door right, closing it behind him. Woman seen in hall as he enters. Here's a poor woman at the door with a baby in her arms. She wants to see you, sir. Is yo in or is yo out? Out! What does she want? She says as how she's the wife of one of the soldiers. Hamilton to Schuyler. You see, she comes to me for money. Money out of the treasury. I'll see her, uncle. Schuyler objects, but Ezekiel opens door. Can't send her away, father. Drops napkin on tray and rises and goes up toward door right. Schuyler mutters. You can't live without food. What's the use? Enter woman with baby in her arms. She comes from the hall. The street door is closed. Ezekiel half closes the room door and remains in the room holding the doorknob. Woman has a state certificate in her hand. What can I do for you? Upstage center, left of woman. Woman, coming to right center. Are you Colonel Hamilton? Yes. Pulling the chair he was sitting on. Sit down. She sits. What is it? My husband is Zachary Whalen, sir. He fought in the war, sir. He's a cripple and can't work. He fought under you, sir. It was that winter at Valley Forge. His feet froze so many times, sir. He's on a pension, but we can't get the money. Can't get it from your state? We get it sometimes, but not lately at all. Only promises, sir. You see, ours is due from Rhode Island. If it had been Virginia or New Hampshire, it'd have been all right, because they are paying their men, but Rhode Island says they can't. Hamilton looks towards Schuyler. What do you wish me to do? I heard General Washington spoke at a meeting of the soldiers last night, and he gave his word that everyone would be paid. I know he will keep his word, sir, but we can't wait. Hamilton, kindly. Why did you come to me? They told me that you were Secretary of the Treasury, where all the money is. Hamilton, giving another hopeless look at Schuyler, who grunts. I wish I could make you understand. The Treasury at present is only a name. An empty name. Takes paper from woman. This is Rhode Island's promise to pay. Mrs. Whalen, I am trying to make the country keep this promise. I'm trying to make them pay. How long shall we have to wait, sir? I don't know. Here. Trying two waistcoat pockets before finding it. Take this. Gives her a coin and certificate. She wraps coin and certificate and puts it in her breast. Thank you, sir. She is going, but turns when he speaks. Hamilton, following her a step or two. I can only say that I'll do my best to see that you are paid. You're hungry, aren't you? Yes, sir. 
Hamilton takes four corners of napkin and ties chicken inside and hands to her. Here, take this chicken and have a jolly good supper with your husband. I'm afraid there isn't much for the... He leans over and tenderly removes a corner of the shawl from the head of the sleeping baby. What's the baby's name? Elizabeth, sir. Hamilton, smiling. Elizabeth, is it? Yes, sir. Hamilton, taking a jug of milk from Schuyler, who is about to pour some out. The baby's name is Betsy, father. Gives jug to woman. Milk for Elizabeth. Zekiel and Schuyler very protesting. Zekiel, show Mrs. Whalen out. Tell your husband I'm fighting for the men who fought for me, and it's a harder struggle than we had at Valley Forge. But that I mean to win, as we won at Yorktown. Ezekiel opens room door and also street door, which he holds open. Woman, near room door. Thank you, sir. I'm sorry to have troubled you, but it's hard on the women. When the war broke out, we had to let our men go, and proudly wear all of them. And when my husband came back disabled and useless, everybody took him by the hand and helped him. That was when the war was on, but now it's finished. It's hard we can't get paid. Good night, sir. Exit woman, right. Hamilton, turning to Schuyler with a groan. The disgrace of it. The men who won our freedom left to starve. Moving down stage into fireplace impatiently. If Tom Jefferson and those damned anti-federalists would let your assumption bill go through, why the soldiers would be paid. Hamilton, walking excitedly across to left. Their opposition to this bill is holding the country in the grip of bankruptcy. While Jefferson and Monroe oppose it, you'll never get it through. Hamilton, back of his table, picking up manuscript. I'll fight for it. I'll fight for it to the end. Throwing down manuscript and crossing it back to right. You see, Father, Jefferson never smelt the smoke of battle. No, he prides himself on being a man of peace. All he and his flock do is go around shouting states' rights. Thomas Jefferson in the rights of man. He gets his followers to do the shouting while he writes for posterity. Placing his chair right of small table. Schuyler, grudgingly. Yes, he writes well. Hamilton, standing right center. He writes music, the music of well-chosen words. And the people listen to him. We all listen to Tom Jefferson's music. He's like the Pied Piper. He pipes and he pipes. The people follow spellbound. He can certainly pipe. Of course, there is always the danger that he will lead them into the sea. Well, there's a lot of rats running after him that it'd be all better for drowning. There are always rats running up the back stairs trying to nibble their way into office. Enter Ezekiel from door upright, comes down to table center. Wouldn't be if the offices were kept clean. Only a strong government can keep the offices clean. This policy of every man for himself is leading the country to anarchy. He is very angry. Ezekiel, a little alarmed. Reckon I better get yo some more supper, Colonel. Picks up tray. Note. Betsy's letter is on tray. Be sure to bring it back on tray next time. Don't you get me any more of that damned milk. Maybe I'd just better fetch a little in a feeding bottle, General. Yeah. <laughs> Exit Zekiel, laughing. Hamilton laughs and sits right of table, center. When Zekiel lied to me this morning and said you were out, I went round to the exchange coffee house. To get a milk punch? To look for you. 
I saw several of the rats there, and I'm convinced they're hatching something for you. I always associate hatching with chickens, but I dare say rats do it. Well? Be on your guard. Jefferson and Monroe are coming to see you about the location of the Capitol. Hamilton, unconcerned. Oh, the residence bill. Takes out handkerchief. Well, what about it? Schuyler, sitting back, nettled. What about it? I mean, where do they want the Capitol? In Jefferson's parlor, I suppose. That's just where they do want it. They want the Capitol of the United States in the South. My God. But, excuse me. Schuyler, fuming. My God. Is that the end of your prayer, or the beginning, Father? The South! Well, why not? Do you mean to say you'd let the capital of the United States go to the South? Where do you think it should be? Where should it be? Why, Albany, of course. Hamilton, jumping out of his chair and over to Wright, laughing heartily. <laughs> oh, your hometown. The finest city on God's earth. <laughs> In your parlor, I suppose. No, General, certainly not Albany. Sits in chair again. Schuyler, nettled. Oh, certainly not Albany, eh? And why certainly not Albany? I suppose you want it in New York. Ezekiel enters left, and crossing it back to door upright, exits. New York? No. Well, in heaven's name, where do you want it? Anywhere that's handy to get at. Well, I'll be... Haven't you any patriotism, man? I don't care where the capital is. Or whether it's built of marble or whether it's made of wood, so long as we get the right men inside to restore law and order to this limping, half-starved government. Alexander! Hamilton, pulling his chair around to face Schuyler and anticipating amusement. What are the reasons why the capital should be in the North? Why all the traditions connected with our struggle for independence cluster about the North. Hamilton, taking it off on his fingers. There's some truth in that. It was here in Philadelphia that the Declaration of Independence was signed. Hamilton, checking on fingers. So it was? It was in New York that Washington took the oath of office. Hamilton checks. In New York, the government had its beginning. Why, Albany commands the commerce of the four corners of the earth. Hamilton, checking. Hmm. And there's not a damned bit of reason why the South should have it anyway. But if the North has all the glory of the traditions of the past, isn't it a good reason why the South should be glorified with the hopes of the future? No! Hamilton rises. Hasn't the South, at any rate, as much claim as the North? No! Enter Ezekiel, right. General, your argument is... Secretary Jefferson and Senator Monroe calling to see you, sir. Reckon you's out? I reckon I'm in, Ezekiel. Schuyler, rising. Now here they come to talk to you about the Capitol, and you're going to concede it without a struggle. Hamilton, coming to him. Father, you're the best friend I have in the world, but I daren't trust you in a matter of diplomacy. That's no reflection on your intelligence, because, you know, diplomacy is frequently only one-eighth brain. Tapping him on the forehead. And seven-eighths the way you use it. I'm going to send you out onto the balcony to cool down. Going up toward center window. I just got some old supper ready to brung up. Schuyler, 
getting above center table well bring it in zekiel and the country be hanged hamilton coming down right of schuyler and taking his arm father i wonder if they feel as strongly as you do about the location of the capital schuyler raising his hand to strike the small table and breaking out why any man with an ounce of out in the cool air father pushes him on to the balcony oh general i've noticed that there sometimes comes a moment in diplomatic conferences when a little diversion is most valuable should i call for you come in <clears throat> schuyler grunts and look pleasant i'll see them zekiel zekiel exits right hamilton goes to his table and picking up manuscript of his bill returns to window and calls father if i could only get hold of jerison and monroe to back your assumption bill yes if you could only get hold of the moon he goes out closing the windows hamilton with sudden resolution comes down left of his table and is facing right when zekiel brings in monroe and jefferson they bow to each other zekiel crosses it back to left take jefferson and santa monroe hamilton bowing to them mr jefferson senator monroe monroe left of jefferson how do you hamilton jefferson advancing to center citizen secretary i trust we do not call at an inconvenient or unseasonable hour your time gentlemen could not have been better chosen zekiel a bottle of wine a bottle of wine and a sandwich yes sir exit zekiel left and mrs hamilton is not back yet hamilton getting behind chair right of large table and indicating it to jefferson no my wife will not return i fear for a month or more will you take this chair mr jefferson jefferson sits right of table will you take this one senator monroe crosses and sits in large armchair that is the chair general washington always sits in when he is here monroe rises uncomfortably then sits again i'll sit here at my desk if you don't mind there is general constraint you're still working even in this late hour citizen hamilton oh no this is my recreation puts hand on pile of manuscript and what is your recreation the establishment of a national bank it's not constitutional it will be necessary for the full development of my bill for the government assumption of state's debts monroe and jefferson cough uncomfortably jefferson is bland a very charming room you have here very charming devilish hot though allow me to open this window going to balcony window i should mention that general schuyler is on the balcony if our business is private no no not in the least pray consider our visit as quite informal hamilton opens window we came to have a little friendly chat with you hamilton returning to table gentlemen i am indeed relieved to find that you have come in this friendly spirit it gives me courage to approach you in a perfectly friendly way on a very urgent matter jefferson catches monroe's eye i trust it may be within our power to be of use to you without sacrificing the principles for which we stand of course hamilton sitting back of table president washington is deeply concerned at the country's neglect to pay its debts the debts incurred during the war you mean the neglect of certain states to pay their debts i mean the neglect of the nation 
Virginia has paid every cent she owes. That saves the honor of Virginia, but not the honor of the nation. Gentlemen, my bill provides that these debts shall be assumed by the central government. Why do you continue to oppose it? All I need is the support of Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe. What you suggest would be making Virginia help to pay the debt of South Carolina. And South Carolina has three times the debt of Virginia. Hamilton to Monroe. Incurred in gaining Virginia her freedom. Gentlemen, if the interests of the thirteen states continue to clash, there is no hope of established independence. I appeal to you both, as patriots, not to squander the time of the country by the discussion of party interests. We are builders of the nation. Let us build strongly. Let us build on the foundation stone of honor. The nations of the world are watching us. Let them sneer at our youth. Let them sneer at our poverty. But let them never cast a slur upon our honesty. You plead merely for the honor of the nation. I plead also for the rights of the individual. Do you realize that the rights of the people are at stake? Hamilton to Monroe. The right of the people is the right to cast aside personal interests for the greater good of the nation. The only safety for any people is in a government that can command the respect of the world. Striking the table. You mean a monarchy? I mean a republic. Monroe, rising, coming to left corner of table and pounding it. George Washington is trying to set up a monarchy and make himself king. Returning to Washington's chair. He gives it a vicious push with his knee and crosses to right. Hamilton, rising and crossing to right with Monroe. Take this chair. I think you'll be more comfortable. Gives Monroe another chair from back of sofa. It is a hard, uncomfortable-looking little chair. He places it in front of sofa. Monroe, ignoring the chair. Suppose the government should pay the state's debts. The men who lent the money wouldn't get it. Hamilton, about to interrupt. You know as well as I do that the patriots who put up the money to carry on the war has long ago given up all hope of ever being paid by the bankrupt states. That is exactly... Their claims have passed into other hands, sold for a song. But the claims remain, and a promise to pay is a promise to pay. Jefferson, rising, and with firmness. Citizen Hamilton, I am pledged to the people... We cannot pick the pockets of the man who trusts us in order to pay another man's debts. Gentlemen, this is repudiation. The last stage of national humiliation. I have tried to see your point of view. Citizen Monroe has tried to see it. Yes, I've tried. Turning away to write impatiently. You have appealed to Congress many times and have always been defeated. The last time by a majority of two. The majority was small, it's true. With a touch of courtliness. Mainly owing, I fear, to the eloquence of your address, Citizen Hamilton. Hamilton, responding with a profound bow. From Thomas Jefferson, that is indeed praise. But I fear my eloquence has interfered with our friendly chat. And that was really what you came for. Turning to Monroe. Some other time. About to turn up stage. Well, Jefferson, time is short. This discussion having arisen, I find myself diffident in seeking your cooperation on another matter. 
Gentlemen, I beg that you will not deprive me of so great a privilege. Pray sit down again. They sit. You are sure you are comfortable in that chair, Mr. Monroe? Monroe, seated in front of sofa. Yes, thank you. I was never made to occupy a throne. Hamilton, about to respond, but controls himself, and sitting in chair right of small table center. Gentlemen, I am at your service. Jefferson, seated again, in chair between tables. You know that the residence bill must be voted on without further delay. I understand that immediate decision is necessary. And I will not disguise from you that I consider the geographical position of the capital a very vital matter. Schuyler appears on balcony at back, coming from left. He stops a moment at the open window, catches what they are talking about, nods his head, and disappears to right. Undoubtedly. And we do not underrate your influence, not only with the President, but with Congress, in arriving at a decision. That decision, gentlemen, is a very grave and serious matter. It certainly is. But I think we ought to find no difficulty in reaching an agreement. Now that's talking sense. Schuyler returns and lingers in front of open window, with his ear obviously turned to catch the conversation. He is not seen by the others. I am pleased to find that you are willing to meet us in the matter. We should have no difficulty because, to me, and surely to all who have gone into the matter as deeply and seriously as we have, there can be only one possible location for the capital. And that is... Albany. A distinct ejaculation is heard from Schuyler outside. He disappears to left. Excuse me, I thought I heard my father-in-law calling. Goes to window and closes it. Albany. That old Dutch town. And why Albany? Hamilton, returning to center behind small table. Because. Oratorically, imitating Schuyler. It commands the commerce of the four corners of the earth. Schuyler is seen moving outside. He opens the other window, the one nearest the left, and is radiant. But I fear you do not consider... I know much may be said in favor of New York and Philadelphia, but... You talk as if Albany, New York, and Philadelphia were the only places in the Union, sir. Hamilton, surprised. Had you any other place in mind? Hasn't the South as much claim as the North? Certainly not, sir. The South could not possibly be considered. Why not, sir? What's your reason for the North, except you're a Northerner yourself? Hamilton, oratorically. Why, gentlemen? Pulls chair right of small table to back of small table and comes to right of small table. All the great events connected with our glorious struggle for independence cluster about the North. Schuyler's face expresses amazement and delight. Hamilton lightly touches his fingers as he enumerates the following. It was here in this city, in Philadelphia, that was signed that immortal document from your hand, Mr. Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence. What's that got to do with it? It was in New York that Washington took his oath of office. Schuyler gives great signs of approval. It was there that the government had its beginning, and, and, there's not a, there's no reason on earth why the South should have it anyway. All this spoken with great conviction. Schuyler, in great delight, exits to right, remaining between windows. Monroe, rising and going right. The South will make a damned good fight for it. Jefferson, 
rising. Is that your final word, Mr. Hamilton? My decision in this matter, Mr. Jefferson, is just as irrevocable as that of yours and Senator Monroe regarding my bill. Monroe and Jefferson exchange a glance, which Hamilton observes. You'll excuse me. I'm sure I heard the general calling. Going to window, center. I'm afraid of the night air for your gout, father-in-law. You'd better be getting home. Enter Schuyler. Jefferson moves away towards left, thinking. Good evening, gentlemen. With a profound bow, and greatly pleased. Oh, good evening, Citizen Schuyler. Good evening. Schuyler, passing along toward door upright. I won't interrupt you. I'll just toddle along. Hamilton, following and laughing. <laughs> toddle? With that foot? Schuyler, throwing open the door upright. The foot's better, Alexander. Good night, gentlemen. Excuse me while I see the general to the door. They go off upright. Hamilton closes the door after him. Jefferson, crossing toward center. What do you make of that last remark of his? As irrevocable as our decision regarding his bill. Sounds like an invitation to strike a bargain. Is it worth it? We can't do without him, damn him. Shall we support his bill in return for the capital? It's worth anything to get the capital away from the north. It will be hard to explain this change of front to the people. I've said so much about state rights. You can make some excuse. Well, it will be difficult to explain away. <laughs> Tom Jefferson, you can explain away anything. Give you pen and ink, and there isn't your equal for that in the universe. Besides, we may not have to give up a thing. Moving away to write a little. What do you mean? Well, Giles of Virginia has some scheme on. He said if Hamilton got us into a corner... Monroe, Giles is a rascal, and I'll not be identified with any of his underhand schemes. Neither will I. I'll just leave him alone and trust in Providence. Re-enter Hamilton, door up right at back. Monroe crosses Jefferson to left. Hamilton, coming down right of table center. Forgive me for leaving you, although I'm afraid, gentlemen, our interview is at an end. Jefferson, advancing a little to Hamilton. Citizen Hamilton, I have been credited with being a diplomatist. Your valued service as minister to France places that beyond dispute, sir. And I find that in settling arguments of all kinds it is necessary to give and take. The best diplomatist, I presume, being the man who gives the least and takes the most. Jefferson and Monroe laugh slightly. In this instance, Citizen Monroe and myself are prepared to give a great deal in order that the southern states shall not be overlooked. Treated with contempt. With regards to the capital, I have a proposal to make. Hamilton nods his head attentively, and comes down in front of Sofa and turns to them. As we cannot agree upon the selection of the city, why not build us a new city, clean and new and full of the ideals of liberty and fraternity? Why choose a city like Albany or New York, marred with the scars of the British tyrant, bristling with the memories of our servitude. Certainly an original idea. A new city. On the Hudson. No, not on the Hudson. On the Potomac. 
halfway between north and the south. I regret to have to refuse you, Mr. Jefferson, but as I said, my decision is irrevocable. Going up stage between end of sofa and table center. I think you said as irrevocable as our decision regarding your bill. Hamilton, turning and apparently trying to recall it. Did I? I think I did. Suppose we make a concession. Hamilton, coming back to Jefferson. Strike a bargain, do you mean? Well, I wouldn't care to use that word, Mr. Hamilton. No, we won't use it then. We'll call it concession. Moves to front of sofa again. Suppose we pass your bill in return for the capital. Hamilton, with an assumption of astonishment. Why, gentlemen, this is a surprising proposal. I fear I must have time to think it over. Sits on little chair in front of sofa. Monroe, beside Jefferson. You're a quick thinker when you like, Hamilton. Yes, when I like the proposal. But I am afraid I am getting the worst of the bargain. Jefferson gives slight movement. Uh, concession. We're offering you something you've been fighting for for years. You will admit that yours would be the spectacular victory. The capital wrested from the north. I do not care for popularity. I am thinking only of what is best for the greatest number. You need my answer now. Can you not give me a week to think it over? A week? Good Lord, Hamilton. Three days. This must be decided now. Hamilton, rising. Very well, gentlemen. I agree. Shall we put it in writing? Going toward table left. I think our oral pledge would be sufficient. Your word is your bond. In fact, I would rather take your word, gentlemen, than the bond of any state in the Union. He bows to them. They laugh. Monroe comes over eagerly and extends his hand. That's a bargain, then. Enter Ezekiel, left, with tray containing chicken, decanter of wine, and three wine glasses. Knock is heard off right. He puts tray on table center and exits up right, leaving door right open. Note. Be sure that Betsy's letter is on tray. The dialogue is not interrupted by Ezekiel's entrance. Jefferson, between them, and smiling. Oh, really? I, I, I cannot permit. Let us say a final settlement of our difference of opinion. May I offer you some refreshments? Going to back of center table, Monroe to right. Thank you. Now, Thidden and Monroe will agree that we have already detained you too long. Passing up right of center table towards door right. Hamilton is preceding Jefferson when Zekiel throws open the street door up right and announces, Count Talleyrand. Enter Talleyrand. Talleyrand, shaking hands with Hamilton and then retiring a little on the right up stage near door. My dear Hamilton, oh, a thousand pardons. I see you have the citizens with you. I intrude. We were about to take our leave. Shaking hands with Hamilton. Good night, citizen Hamilton. Passing to door. We have already made our adieus to. Talleyrand, politely. Citizen Talleyrand. Jefferson exits street door, which Zekiel is holding open. Zekiel hands him his hat. Talleyrand comes down between sofa and table center dropping his hat and gloves on sofa. He then moves across to in front of sofa. Monroe, shaking hands with Hamilton, Good night, Hamilton. Goes to room door and turns. That was a damned good proposition of yours. Hamilton, 
at room door left of monroe oh pardon me gentlemen the proposition came from you monroe coughing uncomfortably <coughs> uh, yes takes stick and hat from zekiel exit monroe and jefferson through street door upright hamilton slamming room door and coming down excitedly placing his hands on talleyrand's shoulders talleyrand i needed someone to drink a toast with me here's to the government that's going to pay its debts picking up decanter i'll drink to that because i like to drink but drinking will not make your government pay hamilton pouring out two glasses it's going to pay it's going to pay who is going to make it hamilton pointing jefferson and monroe <laughs> you have reformed them i have and never struck a blow talleyrand taking up glass i drink then to alexander hamilton the greatest of them all hamilton taking up glass that gives you an unfair advantage of the wine if you will substitute the name of george washington i will drink with you talleyrand shrugs shoulders george washington yes hamilton holding up glass to george washington the first american both are in front of a small table well i will drink anyhow they drink and put down glasses hamilton good-humoured you never did appreciate the greatness of my general oh yes he has a great big nose <laughs> and a great big heart and a great big soul but the brain it is yours <laughs> hamilton about to interrupt don't let's quarrel over your general i come to say good-bye you leave by tonight's boat yes or rather it sails since the early hours of the morning then you have plenty of time taking chair from in front of sofa and sitting right of centre table sit down and have supper with me talleyrand moving away to left oh no no you americans take too much food when you are not doing something else you are always sitting down to supper well be a good american and sit down then talleyrand extending hand no no i come to give you one last embrace i am in haste i must leave you adieu giving him his hand hamilton still seated why not stop and gossip i finished my work for tonight to be frank with you i have to make my adieu to some uh, ladies hamilton rising oh <laughs> your american girls i find them almost more irresistible than the french Enter Ezekiel upright with bottle of wine and two wine glasses on tray. Puts them on center table. <laughs> and they're not so far away, eh? Digs him in the ribs. Hamilton, you have finished your work for tonight. Why not come with me? If one is working all the day, is it not right that one should play at night? Hmm? Comes over to Hamilton. A little spree, hmm? Hamilton, smiling. Why, what do you call a little spree? Ezekiel is back of a small table and can be seen smiling approvingly. Talleyrand shrugs. Oh, a little spree. <laughs> you are so good, Hamilton, and I love you for it, but I, I see the boy leap into your eyes when I say a little spree. He puts hands on Hamilton's shoulders. Exit Ezekiel upright at back. Hamilton, laughing and moving away to right. <laughs> Do you? By Jove, I believe I deserve it. Well, we are all of us human. 
except General Washington. Hamilton protesting. Talleyrand. A little spree will do you good. Going quickly back of sofa and getting hat and gloves, Hamilton crossing to table center and picks up Betsy's letter. No, I think not. I think I'll stay at home. Oh, yes, I know. Mrs. Hamilton is charming. Je l'adore, but she is away. <laughs> she is away so long. Hamilton, coming to Talleyrand and pulling himself together. No, no, no. I cannot tempt you. I'm afraid you might. That's why I say goodbye. Takes hand. Sail home as fast as a fair wind will carry you. Your genius is universal, but your morals are indigenous to Paris. Godspeed. They go up. Hamilton opens room door. Ezekiel opens street door. Talleyrand, turning at room door. Hamilton is on his left. Au revoir, dear friend. When I am in France and I think of America, one big figure will come before my eyes. Alexander Hamilton. The man who makes the fortune of a nation in order to get a living for his family. Au revoir. Exit Talleyrand. Hamilton, waving to him. Au revoir. Bon voyage. Comes into the room. Bolt the door, Ezekiel. Ezekiel bolts and chains street door, then enters room, closing room door. Hamilton walks to his table and picks up Bill. Victory. Well, now, we'll go to bed, Uncle. Sitting at table left and putting away papers. Ezekiel, at room door. For the Lord's sake, Master Colonel, ain't you going to eat no supper? Hamilton, remembering, shuts drawer and comes to behind table center. Supper? Yes. Ezekiel, coming down to right corner of table center. That's about the fourth supper I brought in this night, and you ain't going to eat it. I'm going to eat all that supper, and I'm going to finish this bottle of wine. Picking up decanter. Don't you drink it on empty stomach. It'll go straight to your head. And there's another bottle ain't been touched, and a corkscrew a lying close alongside. Ezekiel, there's a conspiracy amongst you to lead me into temptation. Goes up to Escortier in left corner, sits, and is putting away papers. You go to bed. Yes, Master Hamilton. Yes, sir. <laughs> Goes up to bookcase, center at back, and picking up an extinguisher, begins to put out the four lighted candles. Lights go down. Ezekiel giggles audibly two or three times. What is it, Ezekiel? What's the matter? Ezekiel, giggling. Excuse me, Marsha Hamilton, but I just couldn't help hear what Colonel Count Talleyrand say to you about going on a little spree. Ah, uh, you mustn't be shocked, Uncle. He didn't mean it. Coming down to table left, sitting and putting papers away in drawers. Law, no, I ain't shocked. I think him right, Marsha Hamilton. Quite right. What? Ezekiel, working to door upright at back. You all been sticking too close to work. Little spree do your side of good. Uncle. If I been a working night and day, same as you been a doing, reckon I like a little spree myself. Opens door right. Why, you black rascal? At your age. Well, sir, that am the only thing that'd prevent it, Master Colonel. <laughs> Hamilton, laughing and going quickly towards door right, shouts. <laughs> Get off to bed. Ezekiel exits right, laughing, closes door. Hamilton laughs. Walks over to table center, sits, looks at food, feels loneliness, feels heat, rises, opens window left onto balcony. 
takes out handkerchief and wipes brow. Returning to center table, he chuckles at Bill on table left as he passes. Sits down behind center table and is pouring out a glass of wine, when there is a faint knocking at outer door, which he hardly hears and attaches no importance to. He is about to drink the wine when the knocking is repeated louder. He puts down the glass and opens room door and listens. It comes again. He goes out and unbolts street door and opens it. Mrs. Reynolds, outside. Is this Mr. Alexander Hamilton's house? Yes, this is Mr. Hamilton's house. Is he at home? Yes, he is at home. What do you want? I want to see him. Won't it do tomorrow? Oh, no. I must see him tonight. Come in. Enter Mrs. Reynolds. He closes street door, but not room door. Mrs. Reynolds wears a short white muslin dress, filmy and simple. It is short-waisted and cut low. Over this a straight blue cape with a little hood on back. Her hair is in ringlets. She looks like a sweet little schoolgirl. Her slippers are black with white stockings and black ribbons crossed over ankle. She comes to center above table, taking in the room with a glance. Hamilton follows and is on her right. May I see him? I am Mr. Hamilton. Mrs. Reynolds, wide-eyed. Oh, are you Alexander Hamilton? I thought he was quite old. Why, you're young, aren't you? Hamilton, smiling. <laughs> Not very young. Why, you are. You look quite boyish. It's very late, isn't it? It is rather late for business hours. Were you just going to bed? I think I was. Oh, then I ought not to have disturbed you. When I got to your door, I thought perhaps it might be too late. That's why I knocked with my knuckles instead of with the knocker. Looking at her fingers and half holding them out, but withdrawing them when he shows no particular interest. Yes, I wondered why you did that. Mrs. Reynolds, smiling sweetly. Yes, it hurt them too. It was mighty nice of you to let me in. Hamilton, smiling. What do you want? I hardly like to tell you. Moving down a step. Hamilton, a little nonplussed. What's your name? Reynolds, my name is. Reynolds? Yes. I'm related to the Livingstons of New York State. Hamilton, warmly. Oh. Yes. I've so often heard of you from the Livingstons. Hamilton, shaking hands with her. Yes, the Livingstons are very old friends of mine. Won't you sit down? Indicates chair right of center table. She sits demurely, but with a so-far-so-good look in her eye. He seats himself on the end of the sofa, facing her. Well, now, what can I do for you? I want money. Hamilton, astonished. Money? But why did you come to me? Mrs. Reynolds, innocently. Why, I'm an American. I'm in need of money. I thought it the place of the Secretary of the Treasury, of my own country, to help me. Hamilton, turning away for a moment, amused. But, my child, I have no money. Why don't you go to Robert Livingston? He's in Philadelphia now. Mrs. Reynolds, with a quick look away. Oh, is he? But my people are the Henry Livingstons. Oh. Mrs. Reynolds, quickly. My father was in the commissary department during the war. Was he? Yes. Mr. Lewis, his name was. Well, now, what do you want this money for? I want to run away. To run away? From whom? My husband. Your husband? Why, you're a child. I'm 26. 
I don't look it, do I? Oh, he's been nothing to me for a long time, but tonight he came to my lodgings where I've been living, and he struck me, here. Touching her breast. So, I thought, if you could give me the money, that tomorrow I'd go to New York. And tonight? Oh, I can go back to my lodgings. With a Madonna-like simplicity. He won't come there again tonight. Hamilton, leaning forward. What did you say your name was? Mrs. Reynolds. Uh, Maria is my first name. <laughs> At home, I was always called Joy. Joy? Yes, Joy. But I haven't had much joy since I married. Oh, but I want it. I want joy and happiness. Hamilton, after a pause, rising and moving to right, and not quite knowing what to say to her. She glances at him quickly as he does so. Things will look brighter tomorrow. Bending over her. Mrs. Reynolds, despondently. No, I've waited for years for things to be brighter tomorrow. I fear you are very tired. I am. With a side glance at the things on the table. I've had nothing since morning. Haven't you? Suddenly remembering. Why, neither have I. Coming down right a step or two. Uh, nothing to eat since morning. Rising. Oh, you poor boy. Putting her arms on his, and then going quickly to back of center table. Oh, why, you've got all sorts of things here. And wine. Will you have a glass of wine? Mrs. Reynolds, left of table and above it. Oh, yes, I love wine. He gives it to her, laughing. She drinks. Oh, I, I don't think I should have had it. I've had nothing to eat. In that case, I believe it goes straight to the head. They laugh. Mrs. Reynolds, putting down glass. Aren't you going to have one? Yes, I'm going to have one. Here's wishing that joy may come back into your life. Drinks the glass he had already filled when the knock came. Mrs. Reynolds watches him and comes down a little in front of table. Do you know what it is to be lonely? Hamilton, at right corner of table. I do. I've been very lonely sometimes. Mrs. Reynolds, going to him. I believe you're lonely now. I believe I am. Two lonely people, alone. Have you nobody here to talk to? Nobody. But you. Recovering. And that is why I'm going to send you away. But first, you must have some food. Moving to back of center table. Mrs. Reynolds, gently. Oh, no. Not if you're afraid of my staying. I see you think it isn't right. Backing away a little towards left. I think it's better not. But you must have some food. Mrs. Reynolds, passing her hand over her brow. Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, I will go. Moving over to right of him. Hamilton, coming down a step. But I can't let you go like this. No, I see I was wrong. I had no right to ask you for money. But I don't like to... No, thank you. I'll go. I... She reels slightly, falling into his arms. Hamilton, catching her. What's the matter? Mrs. Reynolds, recovering, dazed. I don't know what's come over me. I feel so hot and funny. Well... Looks for a place to seat her. Sit here. Sits her on sofa. Mrs. Reynolds, looking up at him. It must have been the wine. They laugh. Hamilton, having one knee on sofa, steps over sofa and comes behind her, arranges pillows at head of ditto. Rest here a moment. Mrs. Reynolds, reclining and feeling her face. I feel my face, how it's burning. 
takes his left hand and puts it on her left cheek, using her right hand to do so. I'll get you some water. As he goes, she watches him and takes cloak from her shoulders with a quick movement, which shows the audience she is acting. He goes to left upper end of table left and fills a glass of water from a decanter and brings it over to her. She looks up at him very appealingly and then slowly takes the glass in her right hand and sips. It's wonderful to be with someone who is kind to me. Passing the glass into her left hand and giving it to him. He takes it in his right hand. Are you feeling better? Bending over her. Mrs. Reynolds, subtly getting her fingers into his right hand, he takes the glass in his left. Yes, yes. Let me stay. Just a moment. She holds his hand very unconsciously and rests a moment with eyes closed. Now I'll go. Hamilton, bending low over her, recovers himself with an effort. I'll call my old negro servant. He shall take you home. Puts glass on center table. Mrs. Reynolds, rising quickly and gathering cloak around her. Oh, no, no! What would he think? No, I'll go. Thank you. But I can't let you. Mrs. Reynolds slightly reels. I'll see you to your door. Takes his hat and cloak from corner of bookcase up center at back. Puts cloak on. Mrs. Reynolds, with a triumphant gleam in her eyes. Will you? Oh, but Mr. Hamilton, I couldn't dream of taking you out at this hour. It's so late. Moves up left of sofa. Hamilton, coming down to her. That's why I can't let you go alone. Feels her thin cloak. But I'm afraid you'll be chilly in the night air. Putting his hat on and taking a second cloak from chair right of bookcase center it back. Here, put this around you. Puts it around her. Mrs. Reynolds, cuddling into it. They bump slightly and both laugh. Is it one of yours? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and very big for you. Stands left of her. It's very cozy. Now. May I take your arm? Takes his right arm with her left. Why, you're feeling much better. Oh, yes. I think you had better have another glass of wine. Oh, no, thank you. Just take me home. Oh, isn't it wonderful to be taken home by Alexander Hamilton? They go up toward street door upright. Hamilton is seen arranging the cloak at her head and opening the street door. They exit laughing as the curtain falls. End of Act Two